Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Glory to God. I'm really glad to be in church tonight. Amen. Pastor Tozer is fired up. Amen. I like that. Amen. Luke chapter 15. Thank you for your giving tonight. Those on the platform ministry. Amen. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a very, very familiar text. I think it's very interesting in, in light of Pastor Tozer mentioning uh, his nephew getting saved and uh, because we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal. And uh, there's many lessons I believe that we can learn from this story. I preached a sermon about a year and a half ago on entitlement. I'm going to touch on some of that, but I was looking at this parable again just the other day and uh, saw a few things that I've never seen before in the text. And so, though it's popular, I believe it'll help us tonight. Um, and I know a lot of times it's called the, the prodigal son, and I believe that's inspired, but I think a more applicable title would be a loving father and his two lost sons. Because as we look at this text, it is really a story about the father. And we make it about these boys, and obviously they're very integral to this parable and this story. And a lot of times we focus on the prodigal, but the reality of it is the, the, the parable that Jesus told, he didn't tell it, for us to see the prodigal, if you will. He told it to address the elder brother or the elder son. And so I want to preach a sermon tonight. I've entitled A Father and His Two Lost Sons. Luke chapter 15, start at verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them 
his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And, when he, would, and he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods which the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough, to, uh, bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, he, excuse me, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead. He is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Let's pray here tonight. Heavenly Father, we come tonight by the grace of God. Lord, by the blood of your son, Jesus, I pray, God, that you would help us tonight. God, to see, God, your, your word, God, to see, God, even the characters, and most of all, to see ourselves. Help us, God, I pray, God, to treat others as you have even treated us, God, let us be grateful for the goodness and the grace of God that you've bestowed upon our life, God, I pray. Help us tonight and give us as we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's talk firstly about the young son or lost in the far, far country. This story we know begins with a very incredibly brass demand from this youngest son, to his father. Verse 12, the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. If you know this story, no doubt you've heard many sermons. He is saying, Father, I want my inheritance now. History tells us that the inheritance would have been given after the father would have died, after he would have died, he would have left this to his sons. And so to demand his inheritance now, we can talk about the prodigal living in a moment, but simply to demand his inheritance was another way of saying, I don't want to wait till you die, I want it now. It was actually very, very disrespectful. 
It was not right for him to ask for it. Uh, The father, history tells us, uh, could have beat him, could have chased him and beat him. Uh, And so he could have done a lot of things to address uh, the disrespectful attitude of his son. This would have no doubt torn this father apart in many, many ways. Verse 12 says that the father divided to them his livelihood. That word livelihood is the Greek word bios. It refers to life. And so uh, 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 he's saying he divided to them more than just money, if you will. He divided to them his life. Scholars agree that most of these inheritance would have come in the form of land holdings. And so the idea is the father would have had to sell some of it just to give his son his portion of the inheritance. This would have brought much, much shame to the father. Others would have saw as he's dividing this, as he's giving this to his son. It wasn't like a closet thing. This would have been a very shameful thing brought on the father. The elder son would have got his two-thirds, and this is why. The Bible says that father divided to them their portion. The younger son would have got the remainder, his third, he would have uh, gotten them. And so now the picture there is that the young, or excuse me, the elder son and the father would be forced to live or work on two-thirds of the land. The younger son is basically making a statement to the father. He's saying, father, I want your, th- your things or your stuff, but I don't want you. I mean, oh, this is how we all live before we come to Christ. We are being sustained by our creator's resources, if you will, but yet at the same time, we don't want to have a relationship with him. You talk to people all the time. They are living off the provision of God, but they want nothing to do with God. This brother is saying, you know what? I am going to prove that I can make it on my own without God. That's what Pastor Tozer was saying about his nephew. Many times when people leave church or leave God, in their mind, I am going to prove I can make it on my own. I'm going to prove I don't need God as much as you guys say that I do. And so we know the story. This son goes off into a far country. He lives an out-of-control lifestyle. He is partying. He's having a great time. He is living la vida loca. He is, you know, having his friends, and they're having just a wonderful time. Then the Bible says he squanders it all on wild living. I mean, no, it all sounds good till the money runs out. It's a lot of times when they come making phone calls. Mom, Dad, I need a favor. Bible says that the pleasures of sin are passing or fleeting. They may be fun, but they won't last. Then in our text, to add insult to injury, He's out of money, and it's no coincidence that as he's out of money, now the famine strikes the land, and it almost appears as if, you know, God is working against him. But in fact, how many know this is actually God working for him? God is devising ways. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says, God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. And so the idea is, it looks like, you know, uh, somehow God is fighting against him, but the famine is actually proof that God is working still for him. Famine has a purpose. You may be here tonight going through a famine. The famine is not to kill us. The famine is to drive us back to the Father. In our text, the younger son 
coming back home. Instead of just coming back home at this point, the Bible says he goes and joins himself to a citizen of that country. And so the idea here is he's still not done yet. He's still convinced in his mind, you know, I can still do this. And so the idea is he goes and tries to get a real job. He goes and, you know, meets some friends, if you will, has relationships, makes relationships that he thinks can help him. He comes then finally to the end of himself. He's literally down in the mud with pigs. I mean, oh, the world is a very cruel place. The Bible says nobody will give him anything. Nobody wants to hang out with him. Finds himself feeding the pigs, longing for their food. Again, nobody's giving him anything. Life, the picture there is smacking him around. It is painful. It is destructive. Uh, uh, the idea you see people who backslide, uh, it is hurting them. It's killing us who are family members and loved ones, uh, but it's also hurting them. And so uh, uh, it can be a very bitter, bitter and horrible place. And it's at this point that the lost son here in a far country finally comes to his senses. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? God brings him to the point where he has no more pride in himself. He knows now that his ways have led to his own destruction. Meanwhile, he says his father's hired servants are living a life of luxury. The picture there, he says, they've got food to spare. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, you know what, first I'll go back to my father. I'll admit to him I was wrong. I know, he says, I forfeited my right to be a son. I'll just ask him to make me one of his hired servants. Hired servant would have been like a tradesman. They would have lived in the village and received a wage. A commentator said this, the son's strategy went something like this. The younger son had disgraced his family and therefore the whole community. He was dead to them as the father describes it. The rabbis taught that if you had violated the community standards, an apology was not sufficient. You also had to make restitution. The son intends to say, Father, I know I don't have a right to come back into the family, but if you apprentice me to one of your hired men so I can learn a trade and earn a wage, then at least I could begin to pay off my debt. And so that was his plan. As he sets back on the long road to his father's house, no doubt he's probably rehearsing his speech over and over I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy. I know I've messed up. I'm not where I get it. And the idea is as he's rehearsing that, the Bible says as he comes within sight of his house, the father is looking for him. Apparently, he sees him coming. The father runs to the son. He then falls on his neck and kisses him. And the idea is that he can't even hold back the emotion that he's feeling. Who knows? Maybe this father went through all the stages that many parents go through, many loved ones go through. Maybe at first, it's unbelief. You know, a lot of times when our loved ones are backsliding, especially if our children, at first, it's unbelief. Man, I can't believe after all I've done for them, after all the way I've raised them. And I've talked to parents, they go through this unbelief stage. It's hard for them to even believe it. And then, you know, I can't believe my, my child is treating me like this. Then maybe went through anger. A lot of times it goes from unbelief to I'm just so upset. 
I'm angry about this. Maybe from there it went to sadness. How I many it comes to a point where we're just hurt? We're hurt and sad that our children have even come to this place. Then maybe fear kicked in. I've talked to parents who say, what if something happens to them? What if they don't make it out there? What if they die? I don't know all the different stages, but evidently, yeah, whether this father went through those stages or not, yeah, by the time his son comes back home, all of those stages are completely wiped away by gratitude. The father was just so grateful uh, that his son had come back to the father's house. What a picture that Jesus Christ paints for you and I here tonight. How many know as we begin to draw back to the Father's house, I know what it's like to backslide. I remember being here for a while, and then I left for a period of about four months. I know that it can be difficult to make it back into the house of God, but the, the picture here is as this son is coming back, the Father is drawing towards him to meet him. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you how do we do that we have to come to a place of humility and repentance and confess our sins to him that's why in verse 21 and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight prodigal is completely recognizing that the father owes him nothing and he deserves nothing and yet we have this remarkable twist in this story uh, is found in the father's response. He calls for them to bring the best robe. Uh, many scholars say this would have been the father's own robe, the ring and, uh, and the sandals for his feet. Barclay said the robe stands for honor, the ring for authority. Uh, for if a man gave to another a signet ring, it was the same as giving him the power of attorney. The shoes for a son as opposed to a slave, for children of the family were shod, on their feet and slaves were not. Like what one man said while he was commenting on the scripture, he said, the father is saying, I'm not going to wait until you've paid off your debt. I'm not going to wait until you've duly groveled up. You're not going to earn your way back into the family. I'm simply going to take you back. I will cover your nakedness, your poverty, and your rags with the robes of my honor. You know, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin. How I many you know that? It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon. I talk to a lot of people and uh, they think, you know, uh, you know, Pastor, my sin, uh, it, it's too far. But I want to tell you, your sin is no match for the grace of God. This was a time of extreme celebration. What was dead is alive. What was lost was found. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So there is rejoicing from the father and from the entire household and even from the prodigal. And this is where the first two parables end. If you remember about the lost coin and the lost sheep, the Bible says that those parables end with great rejoicing. They are calling their friends. They're calling the neighbors, come party with me, come rejoice. The man lost his sheep. He searched for his sheep. He found it and rejoiced. The woman lost her coin. She searched for the coin, found it, and rejoiced. And then we hear there is joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. But, 
the, pro, the parable of the father and his sons doesn't end there. In other words, the same thing happened. This son comes home and you expect this, this parable to end just like the other, other parables. My son comes home. We throw the party. We invite the neighbors. We rejoice. And everybody says there is great joy over one sinner who repents. And the idea is there that this parable would close like the previous two. But it doesn't do that because Jesus introduces to us a new character in this particular story. We know him as the elder brother, the elder son. Whole time the younger son was out partying, you know his testimony. The older son stayed home and worked. In fact, when the younger son came home, the elder was uh, older son is out working. Um, he is faithfully executing his labor of the estate. Uh, he is taking care of the father's business. Uh, as far as we can see, you and I, by every outward indication, uh, this is a really good, faithful man. Uh, he's not spoiling the father's resources. Uh, he seems to be an all-around good guy. Uh, and as he is finishing his work for the day, uh, the Bible says he's approaching the house from the field. Uh, he hears music comes obvious that there's a party going on. And there's nothing on the schedule. And so he pulls one of his servants aside, and you get the picture. He pulls the servant and says, hey, bro, what's going on in there? And if you can picture the servant, the servant is no doubt excited. He's saying, look, man, your brother has finally come home. The brother, you know, the one you've been praying for, the one you've been believing God for, right? You're in the father's house doing right. Your brother has finally come home, and, the, and no doubt this servant is excited. He's ready to rejoice with his brother, but he notices something about the brother. Hey, man, you don't seem as excited as you should. The Bible says in verse 28 that the elder son was angry. He was upset. Of course, you can picture the servant. Did I miss something? Maybe you misunderstood me. I said your younger brother has come home. I mean, we just rejoice over a backslider most of us don't even know. But here's a brother who can't rejoice over a backslider he should have been praying for. This is where we started to see that the older brother was also lost. And this is the great reveal of this text. In fact, when you look at the reason Jesus told this parable in verse 1, he says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke to them this parable. See, this parable is really not about the younger son at all. It is about the elder son, and of course, we focus so much on the prodigal, and rightly so, because in terms of the, you know, the redemption of God, the story is unparalleled, but in truth, Jesus was just using the prodigal simply to reveal what was hidden in the heart of the elder brother, because without the prodigal, the elder looks like a shining Christian, and without Jesus eating with sinners, the scribes and Pharisees look great as well. But in our text, the Bible says that the Pharisees complained about Jesus eating with sinners. And when they did that, something was revealed about their hearts that they had previously been able to mask or hide. And so our text says that the elder son becomes furious when he hears the news that the father has killed the fatted calf and that his brother's been reinstated. He refuses to go inside. He, too, is now being disrespectful. 
Now it is his turn to disgrace and shame the father. He is publicly casting a vote of no confidence in the father's actions. He is basically saying, how can the father do this? This is reckless. Is he losing his mind? And so you know the story. The father is forced to come out to the elder son to plead with him to come inside. Elder son won't have any of it. Makes his argument to the father in two parts. First, he, he appeals to his own faithful labor for all these years. And he's contrasting it, of course, to the younger son. He says, all these years, I've been faithful. The second, he appeals to his stellar record. He says, I've never disobeyed you. And again, he's contrasting it with this younger son who's been disobedient. It's almost as if he's saying, you know what, I have rights. I deserve to be consulted. He's throwing a fit. He's outside throwing a fit. You know, when a kid doesn't get what, what they want, they throw fits. Until you get it out of them. You know why they do a fit, throw a fit though? When a kid throws a fit, what he's doing is he's trying to control the behavior of the parents. What he's saying, I will do whatever I have to do to get you to change your mind for, you, for me or to get my way. And so what the elder son wants the father to do is cancel the party. He wants him to come and say, you know what, son, you're right. Maybe, you know, I'm looking at this all wrong. And he wants, he wants to get his way. And so he's standing outside saying this isn't right. And the idea is uh, he wants uh, to manipulate the father. Both sons in this text try to control the father by their behavior. The younger son by blatant rebellion. The older son through his adherence to a moral code. See, the elder brother's more clever. I'm going to get my inheritance by being good. But the truth is both sons need attitude correction towards their father and his house. See, the younger son looked at the father's house as restrictive. It, it, it's too many boundaries. I, gotta, I need to do my own thing. And the elder son looked at the father and his house as selective. Only a few uh, uh, find favor here. Only a few people uh, who have favor in this house. And so I've been trying to earn my favor with the father and he still don't like me. Apparently, the father only likes some people. You know, I was reading a story about the University of Missouri women's basketball coach. It's my alma mater. Robin Pingington, she's the women's coach. She became pregnant. And when she did, uh, pregnancy went fine. But when she birthed her son, the doctors revealed to her that the son had Down syndrome. This totally caught her off guard. It went undetected during the pregnancy. And she says her and her husband went into a very dark place. They began to read all the pamphlets and all the booklets and look online, excuse me, and find all the information about Down syndrome. She said people began telling them all the struggles they were going to have, uh, uh, you know, uh, and everything they were going to have to go through. And she said, finally, what we decided to do was we decided to just trash all the pamphlets and all the books. She said, nobody was going to tell us what our story was going to look like. She said, that's where we completely jumped in with both feet. We wrapped our arms around our family and said, let's go. And as I was reading this, here they were seven years down the road. Her son, Zach, is seven years old today. She says, Zach swims, he rides horses, he shoots hoops, hits baseballs, and he even rides roller coasters. All the things doctors told her he's not going to be able to do. But here's what she said she learned through it all. She said, I learned that the only true disability, disability in life is a bad attitude. How's your attitude tonight in God's house? 
Because it's possible to be in God's house without God's attitude. Elder son is so upset at what he feels is an injustice, he refuses to acknowledge the brother. Right? He doesn't even want to acknowledge that this is as soon as this son of yours. You know, I looked at this and I said, what exactly did the elder son want? Did he want his brother to earn his way back? Did he want his brother to, you know, labor and catch up to his own record first? So, you know, I've checked all the boxes. Now you have to do the same thing. Did he want to see his brother grovel and suffer uh, through pain before being accepted, maybe crawl on his knees? Uh, you know, did he want him to serve? You know, sometimes we serve for a while and say, you know what, maybe he needs to serve for 15 or 20 years like I have. The only problem is once he gets to 15 years, now you're at 30 years. And he's never going to catch up. And even if he could, that is not the point because the elder son can always find an issue. You know, the reason is, it's not because the elder son is bad. It's just an entitlement spirit that has gone unchecked for years and years. I have labored all these years and I've earned my place and now it's time for you to earn yours. You know, there's a big difference between being a son and a hired servant. Hired servant has limited access to the father, if any. He works to earn everything. But a son has free access to the father and everything he possesses. And the beauty of being a son is that you don't have to earn it. You're born into it. A hired servant, his position can be earned. But a son, you are either born a son or you are born again a son. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption. By him we cry out, Abba, Father. See, the elder son thought, you know what? I've earned this position. Came to believe that he was overlooked. There was a sense of injustice. It's not fair. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to feel like God owes us. How many know what I'm talking about? We can begin to feel like, you know, I've done everything right. And this is where he's at in this text. I deserve to have a blessed life. I've earned it by all my right actions. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I was so shocked at the grace of God. I knew I didn't deserve salvation. I knew I deserved hell. I remember I looked at anything after God saved me as just a bonus. But you know, after you save or serve God for a while, Lay down your life, make sacrifices. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not coming at you with this. I'm coming with you. Because I believe we all have this potentially in our heart. That a certain degree of the older son, uh, I think, lives in all of us. Uh, and if you can't find it in yourself, I don't believe you're paying attention. Because it, it, it creeps into all of our hearts. Uh, and I know that we can find it somewhere down in there. But my goal and the goal of sermons like this is to catch it before it reaches critical mass. And then it explodes out against the father and his house. Again, it's not just the father. We start coming against his house. The church, in our text, the elder son would not go into the father's house. And so you have to picture this father here. He's got one son, the younger son, who has left the house. And he's got an elder son, the other son, who refuses to come in the house. Actually, do you still see God's blessings as a bonus or is it now considered payment for your faithfulness? 
Is is grace something you only needed when you first got saved? Or do you still see it as daily desperation for survival in your walk with God? I was talking to Israel this morning in prayer, and he was just sharing with me. He said, I've been reading Psalms chapter, I I believe he said 106, and it's all about uh, Israel and God and how they forgot him. He said, Pastor, I realize the only reason people backslide is is because they forget. And I said, it's so powerful. They just forget. If you look at God, how he dealt with Israel, they just always seem to forget where they were when he found them. Let's close and talk about the father. One son is lost in the far country. The other son is lost in the father's house. When we look at these first two parables Jesus shared, I believe there's a reason he told them because the lost sheep, he says, and then the lost coin. Then he goes into, again, the story of the two lost sons, and I believe one of these sons is a picture of the sheep. I mean, you know, the sheep left, the sheep strayed and went away, and the father went and looked for him. The other was the coin that was lost in the father's house, and so Jesus draws this background about these two, and then he goes into the prodigal. We realize now, see, the elder son wasn't serving for the father. He was serving for himself. There's a story. It says, once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my Lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Sometimes we forget who we're doing it for. Sometimes we're doing things perhaps no longer for the father. And by doing this, we do things thinking, I'm going to gain something from the Father. I've been given offerings, and I never got the tenfold return. Well, are you giving because you love God and you're being obedient to him, or are we just giving to get something in return? You know, the biggest difference in this parable is the elder son doesn't know he was lost. You know, Pastor Ortiz used to say something all the time that's always stuck with me. He says, sometimes, Tori, you got to get people unsaved before you get them saved. And I'm not saying that the elder son was not saved, but my point is, here's this young son, this prodigal. He realizes, I've rebelled. I'm not right with God. And because he's out of the house, he comes to himself. But the fear sometimes is because this other one is doing everything right, he's never going to come to himself. He's never going to see what the younger son could see in himself. And so the idea is we don't even know if he ever did come to himself. And this is what makes the elder son syndrome so dangerous. Because it's hard to detect 
not like the prodigal brother. You know, the truth is every pastor loves to have an elder son in his church. He's at every outreach. He's faithful. He's not demanding things. He's low maintenance. Outwardly can't detect anything. But in our text, the father comes out to plead with the elder son, and he's complaining, you never had a party for me. couple of indicator symptoms that the elder son is working in our hearts. One is when you get bothered by the reckless love of God, furious at his recipients. I told us the parable before, these, these workers who came and, and they came at the 11th hour and Jesus had to say, what's the issue? Are you mad because I'm good? Second reason is when we're always consumed with thoughts of life and God is not fair. Oh, that's not fair. All these years I've gone where you asked me, it's not fair. My, my, how can you let my child backslide? It's not fair. It's not, and we come up with all these things about how God's not fair. Third reason is when, you're, when your prayer life is reactionary. You know, one of, the, one of the issues of life is when we only pray when there's a crisis. When we only pray when we need God to move. In other words, our prayer life is not about talking to God or having a relationship. It's only God, I need you to move. You know, the most neglected story, uh, person in this story has always been the father. Both sons are in this, and they're trying to take what they can get and leave the father's house, or they're just trying to stick around long enough to get what they can get out of the father. And the sad truth, in their own separate way, neither son really cared about the father. Only one son seemed to eventually realize it and get his heart right. How many know the father is the real hero in this parable? The father is the one who is welcoming back the son who is lost. He's the one who is pursuing the other son who won't come in the house. And he's loving them both and he's pleading with them both. And he welcomes them back and the whole house celebrates. You know, I have been praying, as Pastor Tozer mentioned, for backsliders to come back. And they are. We're getting backsliders back. But I want to tell you, it's not easy many times to come back. And I know we've heard it before, but I want to tell you, uh, the more backsliders I've talked to, there are so many who know they should come back, they want to come back, but it's not easy to come back. How many know the enemy places an all-out assault against the mind of the returning son? Can you imagine this, this younger son sitting at that party? We picture him just partying, but he's probably sitting there thinking, what are these people really thinking about me behind all their smiles? Well, I wonder what's really going on in their head. And no doubt he's seeing this and appreciating it, but the issue many times is people can get lost in their transition back to the father's house. Isaiah 57, 14 says, prepare the way, remove every obstacle from my people's way. The real tragedy of our story is that it ends with the elder son still outside and the father pleading. The two, things, the two previous parables ended with a party, and this one ends with the father pleading. The younger son has come home, but the elder son is still outside, and we're left to wonder if he ever got his heart right. And I want to tell you, listen, we got to be very, very careful that when, not just when people come back, but also that we don't move in a spirit that says, you know what, but I deserve this. I've earned this. Listen, everything we have is just for the goodness of God. 
It's just the mercy of God. And I know that we hear, we can't get, we, we can never come to the place where we think somehow I'm going to manipulate the Father because of all the good I've been doing. It is nothing but the mercy of God and salvation rests in it. Here's a father with two lost sons. I ask you to bow your heads with me tonight. God, we thank you for the grace of God, for the blood of Jesus. Oh. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh.